Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Making a Killing, the podcast from Hudson Institute's Kleptocracy Initiative on how corruption is reshaping global politics. I'm Nate Sibley and together with uh, Casey Michelle and Paul Massaro, uh, your guide uh, on today's journey into the darker corners of the world economy. Although today is not going to be uh, one of our darkest episodes by, by any stretch of the imagination because we not only celebrate 30 episodes uh, of Making a Killing, uh, which we're, we're very pleased about and we're very grateful to you all for listening. Uh, for so long. Uh, But it's also a really important day for everyone working on anti-corruption issues here in the United States, uh, because we have the release of the long-awaited first ever United States strategy on countering corruption. This is the big uh, document from the Biden administration that was promised back in the summer, an interagency effort uh, to elevate US uh, government efforts against uh, transnational corruption and kleptocracy and they've released it in the same week uh, as the Summit for Democracy. Joining us uh, today, I should say returning to join us today uh, to talk about uh, the strategy uh, is Josh Rudolph. He's the fellow for Malign Finance over at the German Marshall Fund's Alliance for Securing Democracy. I'm delighted to have Josh back uh, because quite simply no one has done uh, the amount of legwork, frankly, the the amount of detailed research uh, about so many of the provisions that have made it into this strategy. Uh, And he has already been all the way through it, picked, picked through it, and he has plenty of ideas to share with us today. So uh, welcome back, Josh. Uh, it's really lovely to have you with us again. Well, great to be back here. Happy to be on episode 30, making a killing is killing it. <laughs> That's great. Uh, I hadn't thought of that one. I wish I'd used that, used that joke before. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so maybe you could kick us off, Josh, by, you know, just for our listeners, we've mentioned this before on the podcast, but some people will be joining us for the first time or, you know, they don't hold this information in their head uh, relentlessly like we do. What What is this strategy, Josh? Uh, where does it come from? Why is it important? Well, where it comes from is back in June, Biden issued National Security Study Memorandum 1, the first of his presidency, kicking off this process of, of 200 days for departments and agencies to come together and put uh, and assemble a, a, st- a strategy to fight corruption and kleptocracy. And that strategy, the public version of it, is, 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 is out this week, two weeks ahead of the, that self-imposed 200-day deadline. And it is, it is broad in its scope. It's, it's strong in its details. And not just the strategy itself, which is fantastic. It's, it's, you know, more than just a public document. It, it puts key departments and agencies on the hook to elevate their game in very concrete ways. Um, but, but also the, the serious regulatory processes in, in initiated this week, um, USA Tuesday, Treasury on, on Monday, doing some things um, um, that could potentially involve reforms that we have been waiting for for decades, and there and, and there's more to come throughout the week, sanctions and whatnot. So it really sets a fierce tone for the summit for democracy, and it tees up a powerful year of action. Happy to go through some more of the details, but that's my my overall take. Everything we could hope for. No, sure, we're going to go through lots more of the details, hopefully, and and just to sort of put it into perspective, when this is so important, because when the U.S. does this stuff, it sets like a new global standard, right? Uh, just for some of our listeners, maybe they're they're listening from London or Paris or wherever. Oh, they're going to go off on an, another US-centric episode again. Why, but maybe, Josh, just quickly before I get impressions from the, the other two, uh, why is it so important when the US sort of takes the lead on this stuff? Well, it's specifically what parts of it we're, we're taking the lead on. I mean, the, 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 the diplomacy, the, the law enforcement, which we're, we're good at, right? Accountability, foreign assistance, the multilateral structure that we have traditionally supported, all of that. But specifically, the, 
the the U.S. role in the international financial system, the ubiquity of the, of the U.S. dollar and our architecture. That's why it's really important that the the strongest punch in this is is cracking down on illicit finance. And so, with kind of the the voice, the 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 political theater, the the all, all of the the initiatives throughout the you know, U.S. missions around the world to multilaterals and embassies and diplomats, um, but then also to have Treasury be coming out with not just getting up to speed on beneficial ownership, which frankly we have been lacking on, but now using that moment to go well beyond that statutory minimum to also issue these potentially sweeping regs for real estate, re-examine rules for investment advisors, says that, you know, the administration wants to work with Congress on legislation like the Enablers Act and like a half a dozen other things in in the, the illicit finance sphere that's particularly important coming from the U.S. financial system. That's funny. I just want to sort of set the scene because sometimes I think when we, you know, we're based in Washington, all of us, and sometimes we, we get excited about the U.S. developments. It's important to sort of put them in, you know, if you want to keep using the U.S. dollar, you're going to have to do this stuff now, right? Uh, you're going to have to comply with this stuff. Um or have regard for it at least. Uh, so it really does set a new standard around the world when the US government sort of talks about doing these things. Uh, interested to hear the view from Capitol Hill, Paul, uh, but maybe Casey first. You could, uh, you know, with, as, as a newly published author of one of the leading works, if not the leading work on kleptocracy, uh, how, how are you sort of feeling about the strategy this morning, uh, this afternoon, I should say, and, you know, um, what, what are your initial impressions? Well, look, it's very clear that the White House has apparently read a copy of my book because I don't think there's anything that's in uh, my <laughs> book that didn't make it into this new policy document in and of itself. You know, it, it, you know, it's Christmas come early. It's whatever. It is. You know, this is a, a document, a strategy, and a series of details and regulatory calls that we have been waiting for for not just months, not just years, but in many cases, decades. I know Josh just mentioned things like real estate, private investment, things like private equity and hedge funds, those industries, those American industries that have enjoyed these uh, anti-money laundering exemptions for now two decades. We are finally seeing movement on this. And it's not just coming from you know, certain legislators, not coming from uh, certain departments. This is coming from the White House itself, the highest level of the executive branch right here in the United States of America. So before we do get into some of the details, I know we'll talk about some of those, those further as we, as we go along. I, I do just want to highlight the fact that this is in many ways not only a long-awaited document, but in many ways, an unprecedented document, not only for what it says, but just how wide of a breadth this actually has. We're talking about all of these laundry lists of items and industries and policies that, you know, you, uh, Nate, Paul, and I have been talking about for now 30, 30 episodes on this um, on this podcast. This is something we've been waiting for a long, long time. Obviously, we have much more to see. We have many more actual policies to be implemented, but certainly on its face, this is a document we have been waiting for for a long time. That's fantastic. Thanks. Uh, Paul, I, I wasn't sure if we'd lost you there. Just for, for our listeners, you know, Paul sometimes has to jump off. He works uh, in the Congress and sometimes things move quickly there. And so he has to sort of leave us when, when bills drop, which actually quite a big one is potentially about to drop. I, I won't say more. Uh, but Paul, maybe you could, uh, while you're with us, uh, you could give us your impressions uh, because a lot of the stuff in, in the new strategy depends on the administration working quite closely with Congress. What were some of the highlights uh, for you? That's right. Um, so... <laughs> It's gonna it's gonna be an insane week. It's an insane kickoff to an insane week. I mean, this 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 strategy exceeds expectations in in, in every way. I mean, I, I, I'll I'll sort of be the first to say, you know, I I I was ready to raise an eyebrow at the whole process, thinking, you know, like, okay, well, if this is a ba another backward looking document, you know, what are agencies actually gonna supply? Are they gonna say like, okay, this is this is what we've done. This is this is the things. This is the ways we've. We've taken this on already rather than doing a forward-looking thing. But 
I'm so glad to be proven wrong. I'm so glad for this to be so ambitious, so comprehensive. And indeed, at various points, it does very explicitly call on Congress to pass uh, 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 certain pieces of legislation without, of course, saying their names. But I mean, it's all but saying their names at one point calling for the Enablers Act, at one point calling, which which of course would enable the Treasury to create uh, due diligence obligations for you know, enablers of kleptocracy, that is professional gatekeepers like lawyers, accountants, uh, uh, real estate professionals, and so on and so forth, trust and company service providers, which is a big one, that that further authority would be very helpful. Um, the Foreign Extortion Prevention Act, which would criminalize the demand side of bribery. So I, I totally agree with what Josh is saying. I do think that the, you know, I, I have often talked about counter kleptocracy in three pillars, that is cleaning up our act at home, targeting enablers, uh, or excuse me, targeting corrupt networks, and promoting the rule of law abroad, uh, this expands those to sort of five pillars uh, with with targeting corrupt actors being pretty much the same, but then turning that, you know, cleaning up our act at home into modernizing our anti-corruption architecture and curbing uh, uh, illicit finance, which is fantastic. And then the four, you know, the, the final point being expanded to uh, foreign aid uh, and then working with multilateral organizations, also uh, fantastic. But of course, the, the, the curbing illicit finance piece is the most important. Still, all the stuff highlighted in the other ones is is massive, and, and and some things that you wouldn't even think of, like, like the you know the first piece includes uh, enhancing intelligence, you know the role of intelligence agencies, which it's like for those of us in the know that's massive because one of our biggest problems has been the fact that the intelligence agencies are sitting on all this data, but they don't prioritize anti-corruption, and even when we saw recently the reorg at CIA. Um, they didn't prioritize anti-corruption. It was a big, it was sort of an, another one of these like, oh no, here we go down this path. But it's right there, black and white. It's the first thing on the, their, their priorities in that first pillar. Um, and then of course, you know, criminalizing man side of bribery and so on and so forth. And the, the multilateral aspects also very important. So yeah, all together, uh, very impressive. Thanks. I mean, um, it's difficult, isn't it? Because it's a 38-page document. It is, it is rammed to the gunnels with very specific detailed and actionable sort of policy items for the most part. We're sort of delving somewhat into the weeds with some of these issues before, you know, in our initial impressions. But maybe, Josh, you could give us sort of a, just for purposes of taking a step back in case our audience is feeling a little overwhelmed with all the sort of technical stuff that we could get into later. If you could do the sort of 60-second rundown, what is in this thing? Yeah, sure. So across it, it's, it's, it's focused on transnational dimensions of corruption and kleptocracy. And as we've been talking about, in particular, the the ability to launder the proceeds of corruption. But it is a whole of government strategy across five different pillars. Um, so number one being elevating efforts across the U.S. government. So that one, you know, it, it obligates Treasury, state, commerce, aid, law enforcement, the intel community to each respectively dedicate more resources and stand up coordinating bodies that will, will raise their game on fighting transnational corruption. Number two, as we talked about a, a little bit, but we should talk more about uh, uh, illicit finance um, going going beyond the bare minimum to have these new rules, uh, this new rulemaking process that we've been waiting for for almost 20 years on on uh, on real estate, examining rules on investment advisors, working with Congress on legislation like the Enablers Act and, and other stuff. Th the third pillar is accountability. That's very broad. That's that's um, you know a, a whole host of new programs that the administration is 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 launching, going going well beyond you know the, the areas where we're already good at accountability, 
like uh, kleptocracy, uh, asset recovery, or, or, or sanctions. Now we also have, you know, State Department has a new program to partner with democracies to fight safe havens. Aid is standing up uh, a, a global accountability program. We're getting more details on that on Tuesday. Treasury has its klepto assets rewards program. So lots of accountability programs. Fourth, the multilateral architecture, the U U.S. missions around the world are given marching orders to prioritize a corruption, corruption, specifically naming the U.S. delegations to OECD, OAS, UNCAC, NATO, G7, G20, OGP, the extractive industries. So the whole international system, that is going to send ambassadors and, and U.S. Uh, staff there to be pressing at every moment that they can uh, more efforts around corruption, kleptocracy around the world. And then fifth, and finally, and this might even be second second in importance to illicit finance, is the diplomacy and, and foreign assistance pillar. So diplomats, embassies, aid will all have to ramp up their prioritization of, of corruption throughout the U.S. government, the, the, the diplomatic and, and aid system. Uh, the United States is going to reevaluate the, the criteria for countries that receive aid, looking at recipients' levels of, of transparency and accountability. And this is something that, that Paul has, has led on for some time uh, from Congress. Um, aid was gonna, is going to have to be more politically responsive. It says there it talks about scaling aid up and down, respectively, for you know, positive windows of opportunity or, or negative you know, democratic backsliding. Uh, and then lastly there, in that one, in, in a seemingly humble nod to the lesson of Afghanistan, uh, the, the strategy commits to, to strengthening analysis of corruption in, in security cooperation and, uh, and, and military ops. So you can see from the breadth of that across the five pillars uh, that it's, it's unprecedented, uh, really the, the most sweeping plan to, um, uh, to take policy reforms against corruption kleptocracy in American history. And before we go any further, this is a sort of such a sweeping document. And as you say, the term gets thrown around a lot in, in DC, but a whole of government approach, it really is like all the major sort of departments, agencies, you, you even have a tangential like uh, uh, figure in the, you know, iron in the fire with this stuff I'll, I'll mention there. But the amazing thing is this was all sort of put together or at least spearheaded by, by one person over at the National Security Council. I just wanted to take a moment before we go any further and extend our, our congratulations, our thanks uh, to Chandana Ravindranath, who is the National Security Council's anti-corruption director, who sort of sat at the centre of this 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 procedure, this the dealing with all these, uh, you know, uh, I'm sure often quite difficult and bureaucratic conversations with people at all these different departments, agencies across Washington. A really amazing bit of work by her pulling together, pulling all this together in such a short period of time. A very ambitious bit of work. Fingers crossed. I'm hoping that she'll be making an appearance on the podcast soon. Uh, but she, of course, has to jump through the sort of uh, press office uh, hurdles at the White House. So, well, that would uh, be great. You guys should definitely go for that. I mean, <laughs> she, she is a force to be reckoned with, with what she got out today, both the strategy and the stuff that, like I said, we've been trying to get Treasury to do for 20 years. And she's been right. man managed to get it started all in the past couple months. Mm -hmm. I also had a piece earlier this year critical of the fact that the White House only had one uh, staffer dedicated to corruption and kleptocracy, which is one more than any past administration. But I was warning that that might not be enough for the, the scale of the interagency effort we need. I was dead mm -hmm. wrong in that. She has really <laughs> delivered. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say on that point, it's not just the breadth of the policy proposals that have actually made it in and the issues addressed. It's also, and I think we were talking about this earlier off mic, some of the language that actually made it in is as pointed as anything you'd see from 
to take one example, a think tank report calling for specific policy proposals. You know, there are a couple passages in here that certainly stood out on, on my end. You know, things like calling the U.S. real estate market directly a, quote, significant destination for the laundered proceeds of illicit activity, including corruption, right? There's no, there's no getting around that. There's no beating around that bush or describing lawyers, accountants, trust and company service providers uh, as uh, uh, those who, quote, help raise funds, provide advice on investments, structure transactions, and can serve as an access point to the U.S. and international financial systems. I mean, again, we're not we're not leaving anything to doubt. This is exactly what certainly all of us have been pushing and highlighting for years. But to see this come from the White House itself, and especially with this pointed language is, I mean, I've said this before, it, it is remarkable to see this out and, and publicly available. That's kind of what, what blows you away. If President Biden sat me down, he said, Paul, write my write my security to fight, write my strategy to fight, fight, uh, fight kleptocracy. I, I probably produced something that looked an awful lot like this. I mean, that's, that's why I think that, you know, it's, it's almost sold short as a strategy or a whole of government approach or whatever bureaucratic term gets used. Really to me, and I, I described it like this, you know, earlier on Twitter, just that it's the, it's the long telegram of the 21st century. It is the yeah. vision yeah. for, for post-Cold War U.S. foreign policy. That's what we've been missing for 30 years, uh, uh, you know, it's what it's what Josh and I have spoken about on, on a million occasions, the kind of, you know, looking at domestic and foreign policy, thinking about them together. How does one create a, a, a comprehensive, cohesive U.S. policy approach uh, for the 21st century that both, you know, makes sense and is practical and, and, and creates prosperity, but also reflects our values and, and, and puts our values first. And that's what this is. And I was going to say, Josh, Josh and Nate, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not familiar with any comparable document out of, say, London or Brussels or Ottawa or, or Canberra. My, my understanding is that this is not only the first of the kind of its kind in the U.S., uh, but also internationally as well. Is, is that correct? Is there anything comparable out there that this can uh, measure up against? Or is it really kind of one of its kind in that sense? I'm not aware of any like it. Um, and frankly, that is because Biden gets in his bones the importance of this issue. He's been talking about it for a decade, ever since he led Obama administration efforts around the Northern Triangle and in, in Ukraine. He was warning publicly about oligarchs as the new threat. He talked about it in the election uh, cycle and, and came out with this, with this national security study memorandum. The fact that it's so sweeping and, uh, you know, across all of the different efforts, the breadth of it, that is only possible in the U.S. government when when, when it comes down from the top like this. And, and that's because Biden really understands this issue. I, I, I'd love to do the the good old and, and it is very important enforcement implementation. And of course, like, OK, like a lot of this is extremely ambitious. How are we going to implement it? Where is our resourcing? You know, what are our priorities and so on and so forth? There's, there's a lot I want to like get into on that front. But I also want to say one very bright spot is this report requires a yearly and annual follow up. So so December 6th, in that sense, is now counter kleptocracy day, because every every year we'll be getting a report to the president on the on the agency's efforts to uh, to fight kleptocracy. So, I mean, there, there's, there's kind of, and then of course the Summit for Democracy will be having a follow-up next year as well. So, so, so there, is a, there is some level of implementation checks, which is, which is great. The, um, it's interesting. I mean, it's not interesting. It's obviously deliberate timing, uh, you know, coming a day before the De Summit for Democracy kicks off. Um, I wonder what you guys think about the timing there. Does this sort of, you know, the, the, the White House has been very keen to stress that they do not they're not like throwing out requirements for the countries they've invited to come to the, the Summit for Democracy. But this kind of throws the gauntlet down, right, on terms of 
this is the kind of ambition we expect from from our allies as well on on efforts to elevate the fight against corruption. Is that is that the impression that you guys get as well? That this this now gives U.S. officials who have been sat in at meeting rooms for the past you know five years or have five ten years getting an earful because they don't have a beneficial ownership register. You know you can't tell us to do this while you're you don't have a proper anti money laundering system in place. Blah blah blah. They now have like a big document they can slap in front of people from Cyprus or you know, Malta, you know, where Cayman Islands, wherever it is, and say, no, we are doing this, uh, and you need, you need to do it as well. Do you, do, is that the impression that the timing of this uh, you think was, was was made to give? Well, I would say short answer to that is, is absolutely yes. You know, one of the main planks, there's three main planks of the Summit for Democracy, one of them being fighting corruption. And it was unclear ahead of time whether or not that was going to be the administration simply going to allies, going to partners, and yet again saying, clean up certain sectors here, clean up certain industries here, without recognizing culpability and responsibility of certain American industries, policy exemptions, uh, and loopholes therein, to say nothing of this, again, these, these enabling classes. Now, they could just point to this document and say, no, we fully recognize the steps that need to be taken moving forward, and OB Beyond that, we are going to be taking those steps. Check in on December 6th every year to see what our progress actually looks like. So this is going to go a significant way in making headway in just that issue you were just laying out, Nate. Yeah. And I mean, th- this should put paid to the, the talk about the Summit for Democracy, the approach to it being in any way too humble. I mean, it is still humble in, in that we are recognizing we have to get our own house in order rather than demanding, insisting on certain, you know, deliverables as a sort of like pay to play by other countries. But what was rolled out this week with this strategy is anything but but humble in terms of getting our house in order. It's it's historic. You know, I, I, my my worry with the summit was always that it was just going to kind of be a it, it wasn't it wasn't actually that it was gonna be too humble. I, I was worried about the opposite that we were going to come in and kind of practically do nothing and, and sort of say, hey, everything's fixed. You know, like, like, like it's, we, you know, it, it, the problems are all gone. America is back, whatever. You know, we, like we've had a Zoom call with the president. Every, everything's That's right. There, is a, there was an impression of that, but it looks like some serious like policy stuff is going in, is now being rolled out, which actually might surprise some people who are turning up to the Summit for Democracy, sort of thinking they're going to get a, a photo op or a screenshot with the president and uh, you know, get to go away and say that say that they're democracy champions or whatever, right? They're going to have to do right. some hard work. And now they got to deal with this, you know. So there's, I, I, I was, I was worried America wasn't going to bring something to the table. I, I was worried it was just going to be a big victory lap, but it's not. It's very clearly not now. So that's extreme. That's very, very exciting. So I'm still, as we sort of embarrassed, uh, sort of had to admit, I'm sort of still going through uh, the final bits of it this afternoon. You, I think you guys have mostly gone, gone all the way through this, this thing. Was there anything that was not in there that you would have liked to have seen um, at this stage? Uh, nothing that comes to mind on, on my end. Anything for you guys, Josh or Paul? So on, on the, uh, the research that I've done on regulating the enablers, um, my, I had a handful of, of things that I wanted them to come out with, I think five or six, and they got almost all of them. Um, they've got, you know, uh, they've got investment advisors. They're starting the overall approach towards enablers. Um, they've got beneficial ownership in antiquities and art dealers coming. Um, some of them are uh, less concrete. So like on art dealers, I would have liked for them to say that they're specifically going to um, initiate a process on art dealers. But for everyone that's like that, and it's only like one or two things, they did something else bigger that I that I didn't even I didn't even suggest in my like wish list for what could be done now because I didn't think it's possible including the biggest one is is real estate 
that would to me that was long term back burner. You don't want to get in a fight with the yeah, realtors yeah. and the real estate lawyers. Well, and every every member of Congress has a real estate uh, uh, you know, miniature industry in their district. They all have constituents representing that industry. Exactly, and and administration's gonna gonna pick a fight with them. It's good. Yeah, good. Yeah, and and I mean, it's like it's so funny that like you're. Your immediate question, Nate, just like answered with like a moment of silence. It's like, yeah, I, I, know, I, don't, I don't think I, we've I ever had that of, on this podcast well, before. Kind of, kind of, <laughs> kind of speaks for itself. It's like, well, I mean, I'm, I'm ecstatic. I think this just blows expectations out of the water. There's stuff. There's plenty. I mean, there's plenty of stuff. And I think, I think one thing in particular is, and and I, you know, I'm not sure to what extent this was prioritized or how these conversations went. But you know, I mean, there's things like Interpol and mutual legal assistance treaties. There's a lot of there's a lot of cross border uh, uh, law enforcement cooperation that's extremely rough and and sometimes hardly works, um, which isn't mentioned at all. Um, I, I think that there you know there's there's a there's a ton of reforms that need to happen in kind of the global law enforcement legal architecture. It's a tough it's a tough thing to consider because it always feels like the legal stuff is is kind of there's like a political side and then a legal side. And to what extent does the political get into the legal and the legal get into the political? Like clearly it's all one thing, uh, but you, 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 you need to find some way to take on the, the abuse of Interpol, uh, the, the, the fact that we're running off mutual legal assistance treaties from like the 20s, the, the fact that a lot of these processes take months and months and months, the fact that we have to celebrate Alex Saab's extradition because it's like the only one. We get to see the fact that Furtosh's extradition is still like ten years in the process. Like, like, like that's that's really really bad stuff. But I, I, I should add to that though, or in response to that, Paul, like the, the, there are a number of things in here that can be used for. There are enough of a hook to really dig in on those issues throughout this year of action, and then have like you know those be really underway and delivered at the second summit in a year from now. So in particular, around some of the ones that you were just referring to. You know, the State Department is going to have this new Democracies Against Safe Havens initiative, and they're going to work with foreign partners to to prevent uh, the establishment of, of safe haven for corrupt actors and and increase the use of, of law enforcement tools. And then there's the multilaterals. So so there are some hooks there, even if, you know, not specifically. I mean, ho- hopefully they're listening to this and, and, and picking your brain as well so about, or on how to pick up in the in these directions throughout this next year. I mean, everything, everything is hiding in something. And I, and I, and I'll say, and I'm glad you highlight that democracies against safe havens. Cause to me that, that, that sung the song of our friend, Ben Judah, who, you know, proposed the global kleptocracy initiative that sounded very similar to me. Um, and, and that's wonderful. I mean, I, there's, there's others that have talked about, like Elaine Dzensky has talked about, you know, working on like kind of a democratic interpol, you know, so there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of different forms, something like that could take. It's extremely low on the details. I'm sad to say, cause it's like such an exciting name, you know, <laughs> like, like, like I, I saw it. It's like, oh, that's great. Um, but then I, I, I don't know what that means. I mean, I, I'll say it's also kind of like today, again, very impressive. FinCEN's like, Hey, we just started the process to regulate real estate. Like, like, so there's already some action, you know, after 20 years, the process has begun. Uh, I mean, but to me, it's also like, 
it's like a comment period on an action that like has like very low details. Like what, it, what is it going to end up looking like? Like it, like I had to read it a few times before I even understood what it was. I was like, are they, are they nationalizing GTOs? Like what is going on? It was just a bunch of like gobbledygook about like, well, real estate, this and that, and the other thing. And we're taking comments. And I was like, Oh, what? Um, so again, very, very, very exciting stuff. But I, I mean, uh, you know, it's 38 pages. I guess, what do you want? Like, yeah. I, I, give me uh, 300. You know? <laughs> there, can al- there can always be more. And there can always be more funding for the, uh, and, and resourcing for some of these uh, uh, elements as well. I was going to say, and, obviously, and well, we, that's actually the big thing that's missing, in my opinion, is resourcing. Yeah. Resort, we desperately need resourcing. But that's for Congress. I was going to say, Paul, yeah, that's for Congress, well, that's isn't the, it? <laughs> the, the president has to ask for it. And he did for FinCEN. But it, but it uh, needs to be in the president's budget. And then Congress, I mean, Congress, I think, would, may oblige. I mean, but the president does have to ask for it. It, it is in his, in his budget. And ask politely. The, the, the increase for money for FinCEN is. But we need a lot more. We need stuff for DOJ. We need right. stuff for state. We need stuff. I mean, we need to, we need to fund this too. like we, yeah. mm-hmm. we need to fund this like we fund defense. Right. You know, we need, we need, we need, we need to fund it like we'd fund three F-35s. Well, the other elements that are core national security threats or countering those threats, which corruption now is, thanks to this administration. I was going to say, we're not going to be able to get through absolutely everything or even necessarily most of what's in this document in one podcast episode. I did want to flag one other thing, putting my journalistic hat on, on page 35 here. We have multiple bullet points talking about increasing protections for investigative journalists, as they describe them, change agents. Those that are actually uh, uh, digging into and revealing some of these kleptocratic or illicit financial uh, networks. And then beyond that, creating defense funds and defense mechanisms and crafting uh, additional regulations or legislation, things like um, uh, uh, centered on strategic litigation uh, or lawsuits against public participation. Sorry, that was a mouthful. Slap suits, as we call them, uh, uh, that are using and abusing the legal system right here in the U.S. against investigative journalists uh, and elsewhere. Anyways, I just wanted to highlight and uh, uh, celebrate that fact. So that defamation fund, but I don't understand how... USAID is funding it, but it's for protection of journalists that are that get sued in the USA by kleptocrats. So I mean, I just wonder how like the the legal issues have because it's like it's aid funding, but then it's not because it's it, anyway. It's just it's very interesting. I mean, it's a great idea. There you go. No, I I see. It was very pleased to see the anti-slap stuff because I think that's actually something. The slap, sorry, as Casey said, strategic lawsuit against public participation. It's basically when kleptocrats try and sue journalists. Uh, not because they have a good legal case, but to stop them writing about them, to, to threaten them with costs and intimidation, drag them through the courts till they go bankrupt so they're deterred from writing about. Uh, and, and this was a big uh, focus towards the end, end of the report, which was, which was great, because it is, you know, uh, if, if the last few years have showed us anything, uh, it's with the, you know, the, the Panama Papers, the Pandora Papers, everything in between, the importance uh, of supporting, uh, you know, investigative journalists, and it's particularly the new model of transnational uh, investigative journalism championed by the ICIJ and others. Um, so I was, I was really, that was really a highlight for me as well. I didn't expect to see support for an anti-slap law in there. And that's, again, something that the US is, is already a leader on with our First Amendment protections. Uh, and one of our closest allies, the, Uni- the United Kingdom, is actually like the, the, the global center for, for li- what they call libel tourism. It's where people go uh, to sue people uh, and kleptocrats too. So, you know, we have people like Catherine Belton, Oliver Blow facing very spurious lawsuits there at the moment. Um, and it's going to be a little embarrassing sort of for the UK delegation to, turn up to sort of read that and realize what's happening in their own backyard. That's the kind of way that this, that this strategy, I think, is going to be important 
and helping allies sort of see what's in their own best interest if they want to get aligned with uh, the US on this stuff. Um, we're coming towards the sort of end of our times now, so maybe we could just do a round of any final thoughts, chaps? Um, no particular order, if anyone wants to shout out. Well, let me, just because the the first time I was here on Making a Killing, I, I quite harshly criticized Treasury at that time for, for not doing enough on corruption. So let me say, I mean, as Paul, you know, Paul said uh, earlier, couldn't be happier to be wrong, but me specifically with regards to, to Treasury, I could not be happier with what they what they delivered this week. I mean, in in four areas, right? I mean, one is just the overall volume, the press releases, the speeches from you know from Wally, the the report, the new sanctions. We even talk about Gertler sanctions that came out today. The 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 uh, regu- the, the regulatory notifications. They're, they're banging the war drum in a way that is very important for bureaucratic prioritization. It galvanizes energy, and and you know that has been lacking until today. Not a mass. That's good now. So, so that's like overall one thing. I had no idea they were going to come out and commit to look at investment advisors. All the public reporting had been that it was going to be about real estate and beneficial ownership, but they're going to be relooking at that role and they're open to doing it more broadly. That's great. I didn't know that they were going to be able to, in all but name, endorse the Enablers Act. That's the type of thing that takes a really long time. So. <laughs> And I mean, we've we've sort of like skirted around the 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 investment. Uh, I'm sorry, the real estate uh, announcements because they're a little bit complicated. But but basically, the bottom line is there is that they are going to at least make permanent and nationwide the obligations under geographic targeting orders for title insurers. But then they go a lot further and and and, and ask these questions. The Treasury does not ask these questions willy nilly. They have to be really seriously able and willing to do something if they're going to be issuing a, a formal notification saying, "Hey, well, what about you know not just title insurers, but benef- but beneficial ownership reporting requirements for lawyers, realtors, escrow agents, or then separately they say, what about just full AML, including due diligence and SARS for all of the above, the whole industry like we've been waiting for." For, for 20 years. So from that perspective, this is even more than a long telegram because it's actually starting these regulatory processes, moving the levers already, not just motivating, uh, but but taking action. So really hats off to NSC and Treasury for what they're rolling out this week. Nothing could have set a stronger tone for the summit and teed up a more impactful year of action. Yeah, it really does feel like a uh, something of a watershed day today with this report. And it does feel like this is the report we've been waiting for for 20 years since those initial anti-money laundering exemptions were placed on American real estate, on American private uh, equity, hedge funds, uh, et cetera, et cetera. It, it is difficult to overstate how important this document is going to be both today and moving forward and certainly how, uh, how we're going to be celebrating December 6th every year here on out. Look forward to uh, hopefully recording an episode of Making a Killing, a commemorative <laughs> episode every 6th of December. <laughs> no, totally. I want to, you know, reiterate because I also feel like I gave short shrift to the, to the, I mean, that FinCEN notice that came out today on real estate is massive. Just, just, be, just because I don't have the brain to process all the, all the bureaucraties so quickly doesn't mean it's not massive. And I, and I totally agree, Josh, that it's, it, it's, it's, it's doubly massive because it's, it's not just saying we're nationalizing GTOs. It's essentially saying we're keeping the door open to regulating everything, possibly, which is which is which is like wow, you know, like we kind of went from zero to sixty. It's awesome. I mean, zero zero to zero to actually implementing the law, rather, I should say, um, zero, which hasn't been implemented for twenty years. Um, so so no, it's 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 all extremely exciting. I mean, I think that the challenge now for the administration is going to be to keep this bipartisan to 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 not 
own it too hard to kind of say that this requires very, very serious bipartisan consensus to get anything done on this, uh, to work very closely with Congress, to work across party lines, and to get the bills passed that they need, to get the authorities they need, to get the buy-in they need, uh, to clean up to, to clean up global corruption. No, totally. No, it's worth bearing in mind. But it's also, you know, this is going to give us um, food for thought to sort of chew over for, for many episodes to come. As I said, hopefully involving Chandana or someone else who's involved in putting it together over the next uh, episode or two, we'll get to talk to them directly. Uh, but for now, we're sort of running uh, to the end of our time for this week. Gents, thanks so much for your insights. Uh, as the audience could probably tell, we, we were recording this on the day that the strategy was released. So that you've all been sort of moving through it very quickly. And th- those are some fascinating insights. Thank you, Josh, for joining us again. Uh, and we look forward to having you back again soon. Hoorah. Good to see you all. <laughs> all right. Bye, guys. Thanks, Josh. Bye, bye Nate. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Making a Killing, the podcast from Hudson Institute's Kleptocracy Initiative on how corruption is reshaping global politics. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to subscribe and share with your friends. You can also give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps get the word around. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.